The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present Savor 2015, an American craft beer and food experience from Washington, D.C. This salon was from Saturday, June 6th. Beer Dinner Epiphanies. Presented by Julia Hertz, Brewers Association, Jeremy Cohen, Schmaltz Brewing Company, and Doug Constantinier, Associate Brewing Company. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Sabre. Uh, just to make sure everyone is in the right place, this is the room for Beer Dinner Epiphanies. My name is Steve Broad. I'm the brewmaster for Free State Brewing Company in Lawrence, Kansas, and I'll be your host and introducer for this evening's salon. Mostly that means I do a little bit of housekeeping and turn it over to the people that you really want to listen to. Savor now in its eighth year and well-established as one of America's premier beer and food events is brought to you by the Brewers Association, the national nonprofit trade association representing the country's small and independent craft brewers. I serve on the board of directors of the Brewers Association and also as chair of the events committee, another which um, uh, puts on another, another of America's premier beer events, the Great American Beer Festival, coming up this fall in Denver in late September. The Brewers Association, ah, we have some fans of the GABF. The Beer Association also publishes craftbeer.com, which is your best source for information about these events and about the wider world of American craft beer. As we move through the evening, please wait to enjoy each beer until it's introduced by our speakers. And if you miss something one of the speakers says tonight, all of our Saver Salons are being recorded uh, for podcast listening and posterity by craftbeerradio.com, giving you the opportunity to hear it all again. If you have questions for our speakers, I will have a microphone, and please just raise your hand. I'll be glad to bring a mic around to you. That way we get your great questions along with their great answers all on the podcasts. Now, to get started, please join me in welcoming Julia Hers, Craft Beer Program Director for the Brewers Association, and your guide for this evening's festivities. Julia? Thank you, Steve. Hello, hello. Can you guys hear me? Can you see me? 9.30 Saver Saturday night. You guys paid to be here. We are going to make this so worthwhile. This is a mini beer dinner that's about to happen inside of your Saver experience. We thank you for being here. Super psyched to be with my two colleagues here who are the actual brewers, the real reason why we're at Saver. We've got Jeremy Cowan from Schmaltz Brewing Company. Give it up for Jeremy. We've got Doug Constantiner from Society Brewing in San Diego, California. And we're going to talk about some of our experiences. Now, just to kind of get a gauge in the room before we dive into the meat of the, of the content, how many of you guys would consider yourselves beer beginners compared to beer enthusiasts compared to beer geeks? Beer beginners, raise your hand. Good. So I love it. We love getting especially experienced to savor. Susan in the back, that was bullshit. I don't believe you. Um, and then beer enthusiasts on the middle level. Great. And that's you're in the sweet spot. We have most beer enthusiasts. And then the beer geeks, maybe brewing, touring lots of breweries. So an even mix. So that's what we got going on. So we'll keep the beer beginner in mind. What we've got, craftbeer.com, by the way, we really try to make things accessible to the beer beginner. We have, content-wise, on craftbeer.com, a free 60-page document. It's the craftbeer.com beer and food course. I co-authored it as a certified Cicerone with Chef Adam Dooley, who did the whole menu for Savor. There's an entire section in the beer and food course on beer dinners. So if you want to take away from this evening, get really fired up, want to go a little bit deeper, that content is there for you free to download for sure. So I want you guys to introduce real quick where, you know, what do you do at the brewery? How'd you start the brewery? Oh my God, Jeremy's got such a long story. And, um, and then we'll toss it to Doug, but tell the people a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, how's the mic? Mr. Microphone, are we all right? Excellent. Excellent. All right. Thank you. Um, yep. Uh, I'm Jeremy. I'm the owner of Schmaltz Brewing Company. Uh, that's true. It's a long story. It's 19 years in the making. If you want to hear the most detailed part of it, you have to read. I wrote a book called Craft Beer Bar Mitzvah about the first 13 years. Um, but uh, I started the company in my apartment in San Francisco. Um, I, uh, for 18, 17 years, was a dirty word in the craft beer world, which is called a contract brewer. 
Uh, I was comfortable with that, but I was contract brewing with Anderson Valley and Mendocino for many, many years in California and upstate New York. And then two years ago, we uh, took the plunge and built our own brewery in Clifton Park, New York, just north of Albany. We have now 30 employees working for Schmaltz Brewing Company. We distribute most insanely in about 35 states, a brand called Hebrew, the chosen beer. And it is still totally astounding to me that after all these years, I have a brand built on dancing rabbis and punchlines from the Torah and Beastie Boys songs. <laughs> but, uh, you know, here we are, and we're, we've got some great beers to share. I'm super psyched to be with Doug, and this should be awesome. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having us. Thank you guys for being here. Appreciate it. There you go. Nicely done. All right, so my name's Doug Constantiner, uh, Society Brewing Company's in San Diego. So I actually started out, yeah, some San Diego, <laughs> San Diego fans. San Diego And... Uh, I was drinking Schmaltz brew a long time ago, so you kind of helped <laughs> develop you. what I'm into. But Julia, thanks for everything you get, you do for craftbeer.com, the Brewer Association. Jeremy, thank you for what you do. Um, so I started out as a beer drinker, got into home brewing. Home brewing turned into professional brewing, and uh, met my current business partner. We were both brewing at the brewery in Orange County. Uh, done stints before that at Green Flash, Pizza Port, OGs, and uh, decided that we needed to start our own brewery and so we decided on san diego we're both huge hopheads so san diego is the place to be for that but uh society's now three years old and uh i don't know we're making good beer right now i'm actually <laughs> confined to the office and i'm doing a lot of uh, keyboard and computer stuff which is not why i got into brewing <laughs> but uh Still do a lot of uh, recipe development, QC stuff, but uh, you know we're happy to be here. And one of my passions is food, and beer and food is probably the greatest thing in the whole entire. Beer itself is already the best thing in the whole entire world, <laughs> and then you tie in food, and it's just like another world. And uh, you know I'm not opposed to wine, but this whole uh, you know wine I shouldn't really talk badly on wine, but. Uh, <laughs> Beer and food is the greatest thing in the whole entire world, and we need to start changing everybody on it, and that's what we're here to do tonight. And all the beers we make at Society, the whole point, other than making the beer, being able to drink it alone and say, well, this is great on its own, being able to have it with food is taking it to another level. And you see, so we've got a, a couple lines of beer at Society. When you really you take it down to a smaller portion, we make two beers. We make IPAs and we make Belgians. And that's it. And the whole goal is to make great beer that's drinkable and that can go well with food. So we'll, you'll also have the Pugilist, so we have a stout line too, which is really that's kind of like the uh, redhead stepchild <laughs> as people call it. But uh, in San Diego, which is such a hoppy city in terms of beer, you see you know the big craft beer bars, uh, places like Tornado, O'Brien's, they're just loaded with IPAs, and we sell them a lot of our IPAs. You go to the fine dining restaurants, these chefs only buy the Belgians because they know it doesn't squash the food. They buy the pugilist. We have a butcher, which is the uh, imperial stout. So you start to see where the food starts to play in with the beer, and it, it really changes everything. And it's really nice to have, as Julie, you said, the chefs being beer-minded. And that's kind of what we strive for, that we don't want beer to be something that's just... Uh, oh, it's beer. Let's just drink it. This is, uh, you know, or this is hoppy, or this is this and that. It's uh, they should they should go together. I think they go together better than anything else in the world. And, and I love that introduction because the number one activity that we do when we're enjoying beer is eating, right? <laughs> so why not connect the two in a way that's more cerebral, that's more enjoyable, that's more pleasurable? I call it the palate mind connection, where your mind is actually paying attention to what your palate is experiencing instead of just tuning out and consuming, because we don't want to all be just consumers, right? We are not at the rate of survival here. We are the rate of enjoyment because we have that fortune and that lifestyle. So what Doug's saying really cues it up very nicely. Um, I would say that Doug and Society is known for making amazing beers, um, which brings us to our, our first um, course for our little mini beer dinner in front of you. And let me kind of set up the dinner and then toss it back to Doug to have him talk you through his, his beautiful beer um, and the pairing of the cheese. Uh, normally for beer dinners, I'll do a welcome beer. 
And it's, I think Savor has maybe served that purpose. Has that? How many so, welcome beers are there? Yeah, yeah. so we've, we've, already, we've already got um, 76 breweries out there, 76 small and independent craft brewers um, serving 152 pairings out there. So you're good there. Welcome beer, check. Um, and now we're on to the first course. I mean, commonly you are going to see cheese at the end of the meal. At least that's the way we've been presented. But anything goes. It's your beer dinner, right? It's how you want to indulge it. So in discussing things and getting the food options from um, Bradley with the Brews Association and Chef Adam, we were game for this to, to open things up. And I think with that, I would love Doug to talk us through his beer. And then also, one of the things I'm encouraging these guys to do tonight is when I taste a pairing with somebody, and I'm really going to take the time to be in the moment and in the now and pay attention to that pairing, I want to know what they're experiencing. I don't want them to tell me what I'm supposed to experience, but I do want them to verbalize to me what they're getting. So I'm really hoping these guys can kind of tell us what they're perceiving, and then we want to hear from you guys too as you go, because my sense of bitterness might be a little less bitter to you, or something that's too cloyingly sweet might be just right in that sweet spot to you. So that's always important to remember when you're describing pairings, is taking to a mind that pairing is personal, perception is personal, we're all genetically predisposed to different things, we also have experience that shapes that palate to mind connection because of the way we perceive the world, so I'm going to experiencing the same, experience the same pairing maybe differently than Jeremy and Doug. So that kind of sets it up. And Doug, why don't you let us finally sip some Absolutely. beer? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So really quickly, Julia, thank you for that. Speaking of experience and being predisposed for certain flavors, think about it like art. Uh, you can all look at the same piece of art, a painting, and everybody likes it in a different way. Some people like it, but you see the same thing. That's what it is when it comes to beer and food or just beer or just food. Yeah, I still taste the same thing as you, but I might not like it. Or you might like it more. I get this, and I don't like the bitterness, or I do like the floral. I don't like the sweetness. So that's kind of how everything should be. And the best way to do it is to do it a bunch of times. You know, the more you drink, the more you taste (laughs) foods with beer safely. You know, that's how you're going to kind of develop all this stuff. So uh, beer-wise, as we're getting into this, so this is uh, my baby. This is the Harlot. Uh, When I started Society with Travis, this is the one beer we wanted to make. And this kind of defines everything that I think is the holy grail of beer, which is the beer that you want to drink every single day. Uh, It is, I don't want to say it's simple, but it's not something that's like overly complex and has all these different things going on. It's something I can drink every single day, and it's uh, light enough and simple enough to where it doesn't overpower my palate, but at the same time, there's something, there's some a complexity there, and there is, you know, enough going on that wants me, you know, I want to take another sip of it. Uh, and that kind of goes with this cheese. So the cheese we have is uh, Humboldt Fog. Humboldt Fog, has anybody here had it before? All right, it's from Northern California. It is uh, Ashrine uh, cheese, and it's goat's milk. So with goat's milk, you kind of get more of a breakdown, and as you guys have it, you can see there's a harder, firm part, and then there's a softer piece. And you can actually age Humboldt Fog, and the more you age it, the more floral and funky it gets, which is pretty cool. But cheese-wise, the floralness goes well with the Harlot. So the Harlot is basically a Czech Pills recipe treated as a Belgian beer. So it's uh, almost all... uh, European Pilsner malt, and then we use Czech saws and Syrian Goldings. We can taste it, right? Oh, yes, please, 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 please. Taste. Yeah. And so with tasting beer and food, what I've noticed, uh, my wife and I have people over all the time. I've got a kegerator at home littered up with beer, so and plenty of bottles. So we always do food pairings. We always start with cheese. We start with cheese and fruit, and that's kind of how we lead into it. And uh, with Humboldt Fog, I think this is probably the cheese we have on hand most of the time. I think it goes well with everything. So you have this nice, light, airy cheese that still has this complexity. And the more you eat it, and then you taste the beer again, they start to go together more and more. Uh, This beer is hoppy, but it's not what you consider hoppy in the United States because it's not that citrusy, piney, bitter hop. And for the beer beginners, hoppy, not bitter, which I think are two different things. Very different things. So beer can be hoppy and not bitter. So that floral note you get from this beer, those are the hops. Those are the saws. And that's a, it's a Czech hop. And uh, the cheese is, it's mild yet still complex. And that's why I paired it with this beer. 
I thought you had a question. You guys worked your way through a test tasting for this to really come to this, didn't you? Or in With theoretically, pleasure. yeah. <laughs> so they, I mean, this is very strategic. Humboldt yeah. Fog, you can nowadays find it pretty easily. You're not going to get. So how many states are you distributed in? Because you're not going to find the harlot. One. One. <laughs> One. Uh, we're about to get into Denver a little bit, but. Uh, so let's go with that question, and then that'll give Doug a chance to yes. try it and then give his description of what he's getting. So for the hops, do you normally add them during the aroma hops phase, or is it more back hopped in this one? So uh, pounds per barrel, almost as much as our IPAs. So we do a 90-minute uh, addition. We do a 90-minute boil. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with uh, the brewing process, you got to boil the wort, which is the... Uh, Sweet wort, it's, every, it's the sugar runoff from the grain. Boil it with the hops, add the bitterness. We do a small addition on most of our beers just to get the bitterness there. And then we've got a 20-minute addition and a flame-out addition. Uh, we're not dry hopping this, but we put a lot of saws in. And saws now, the alphas are so low that we're throwing in. So it's a 20-barrel brewery. We're putting in a, a huge, huge dose at the end. Great, thank you. No, the catch is, is that they're waiting to serve the next beer. You don't have to chug. You can sip or, or dump into the bucket. But um, take, like take a moment. Take in the pairing. First, if you have a choice. Food. And I want to hear Doug so, describe real quick while, while they're <clears throat> patiently waiting for you to have your glasses empty. What, you know, give us well, your perceptions also, of this so, pairing. And Jeremy, just, too, chime well, in. I just asked Doug a question because I think it's relevant. If you like to eat the food first or drink the beer first, and is there a direction? Is there a better way, or what way do you like the I, best? Uh, my, my immediate answer, so if you guys heard that Jeremy said, you know, he asked me, what, uh, what do I like to put in my mouth first, the, the beer or the cheese or the food? I said the food, but then as I had the food and I had the beer, I started to think, well, it's really only with cheese. I like the cheese to kind of coat my tongue, coat my mouth, and then I have the beer and it washes it all down. Uh, there's other things like steak, which we're going to have later, that I like to have the beer first and have the beer coat my mouth. And I like kind of setting up that whole, like, here's, you know, uh, what's it called in baseball, where you've got your guy who, like, sets up the bases, and then you've got your home run hitter. Mm-hmm. Clean up. And so you got and that all comes with experience and perf- personal preference. And the more you do it, and the, the best thing is, is, you know, you like cheese, you like beer, the more you can experiment with both and there's no wrong order just just go out and do it and do it all the time if you guys want to take notes that's probably the best way to do it uh, keeping a log of everything I used to be uh, really active on beer advocate like 10 years ago the only reason why is because it was a online journal because I knew I could be at a bar on my phone and I would write down tasting notes and that was the only reason why I did it and I think that's one of the best ways to develop kind of where you're going in certain flavors and you can look back at your notes and say okay well I think this was a home run or it was just a train wreck and <laughs> experimentation is everything and we have a, on craftbeer.com as part of the beer and food course you can download the sheet that we use that Chef Adam used to inspire the savor menu I, I tend to start with the beer and then construct my beer dinner menu from there because um, we live in the beer world more at the Brewers Association, um, and then place the food to the flavor profiles and emotions evoked from that beer. But we have a complete sheet that was literally used to construct the savor menu that can, you can download and check out. And if you're ever doing a beer dinner and you know your beers already, you can plug in the food after that, and you can also tweak food much easier than you can tweak the beer. So if you're able to do a test tasting, that's one of my key takeaways from tonight, is a beer dinner is about fun. You're actually inviting people over, really throwing down to share your world with people, family, and friends that you love. And so why not put some energy into it and construct the beers that you think and maybe even cheat and have a a dinner just um, yourself and test it out. And then you know what you can cheek, uh, tweak and amp up or lessen to maybe work with the beers a little bit better. Yeah, and to elaborate, I didn't mean pick the beers off the food. I mean in terms of like eating. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. It just was a pivot to the whole Got bigger it. picture yeah. thing. Definitely pick the food around the beer. You can you can really play around with food a lot more uh, when you're going to the store and picking out beer. Find the beers you want. Find the beers you like and the flavors you really know. And it's a beer like think about what, you know, it's a beer that you drink the most of, whether it be uh, you know your local IPA or stout or whatever it is. Something something you know. Sit there and wrap your mind around what the flavors are. And then think about what food would you like to, you know, eat or, 
with that while you're drinking and try it out. So, Doug, we're going to toss it to Jeremy, but yep. were there any out, outlier things? I mean, we already pulled your beer away from you that stood out Thank to you. the way that pairing worked. No, other than uh, I really like it. It's, it's one of those things that uh, I hope you guys liked it, and it's an experience thing that this is something, you know, a cheese that my wife and I have all the time, and we always drink the Harlot, and we think it goes great together. It's, uh, you know, food to food, beer to beer. They work really well together in terms of, you know, wrapping our minds around things. It's a pretty intense cheese that you just had, very rich in, in fattiness, and I think that, that Belgian pale, the yeast notes still shine through, but it's, there was a, somewhat of a lower-level bitterness that could actually take the stave off that, that richness and fat. So that's what worked for me, and I got a, more of a sense of herbal yeast notes and more of a sense of herbal um, ash notes or whatever it is in, in the cheese. So it was, it was very, very nice. So Jeremy. So Julia. Tell us about your beer. <clears throat> uh. This is, this is a different end of the spectrum. Although, as Doug mentioned, he's making a lot of beautiful IPAs from San Diego. Um, we're in upstate New York, not known for its traditions of classic American IPAs, mostly uh, made fun of for many, many years by people like myself, who grew up in San Francisco. Uh, I was like, East Coast IPA, is that even a thing? Like, and then dogfish. And you're like, oh, man, yeah, that's a thing. So um, the last, I don't know, 10 years, dogfish has been around longer than 10, but the last 10 years, uh, it's been really fun to play around with expectations. And having a company like Schmaltz Brewing and a brand called Hebrew, we play around with expectations and stereotypes as well. Um, one of the things that's a little bit different about what Doug's done um, with the Harlot is at Schmaltz Brewing, we literally don't have a flagship. Uh, we don't make a beer because I wasn't coming up from a brewing background. I came up from a background of talking smack at bars and uh, telling bar mitzvah jokes. Um, so I just thought it would be fun to make a bunch of different beers. And most of them evolved out of a concept and a project, not from a brewing perspective. So it's a really fun way to try products that, as Doug pointed out, I think is a wonderful way of stating it. It's a complex way to get to a relatively simple um, product, but the way we do it is a little bit different. And, you know, you get to enjoy both sides of it intellectually. It's a totally different process to end up with a beer that hopefully <clears throat> people really enjoy because we do we love doing this stuff we make lots and lots of different beers uh, and this is one of them the reason I brought this today is because this is a beer that I hadn't even thought of as of February 1st we didn't even consider making this beer although it was a punchline from the very first beer festival I ever did uh, when I showed up and poured the first bottle of Genesis Ale from Hebrew and, the, and maybe the sixth person that came to the beer festival in Northern California goes, oh, Hebrew, that's pretty funny. Where's the Shebrew? I was like, no, man, it's, it's not that. It's not like a he thing. It's a, it's a different thing. So 19 years later, I was uh, uh, actually last year we launched in Kentucky and I was on the plane with Terry Farendorf from Pink Boot Society, also Steelhead, amazing brewer, wonderful person. And um, we got to talking and one of my staff this year uh, pointed out that it was International Women's Collaboration Brew Day in March. And she said, hey, is that something we'd be interested in? And um, International Women's Collaboration Brew Day, if you don't know about it, find out more at pinkboots.com. They're great, or .org maybe. And uh, uh, they, they make a recipe that's a 4% pale ale made with Cascade so that almost anybody in the country can make it. Our brewery is a 50-barrel brew house, so a 4% pale ale for us in upstate New York is not a viable product. <laughs> it is extremely hard to sell that product for us. So I said, well, let's just do that same concept and we'll triple everything. So, so this, I got to jump in though, because what's up with a beer dinner? Aren't you supposed to do alcohol level lower, progressively higher? Yes. This is eleven percent. This is eleven point eight percent alcohol. Um, but talk to you, why? Why? Yes. Why is, did we choose? Is this? that okay? So it turns out that um, as Doug and Julia both know, there are l rules, and sometimes they're made to be followed, and other times they're made to be shattered and stomped on. That's why we're in craft beer. <laughs> and as Doug it, pointed out... For beers out, like this. It's art. 
right? So you may not love, this is the perfect beer for somebody who goes, oh, I don't really like IPAs. And you're like, oh, really? Have you ever tried anything like this? So in the last few years, um, obviously IPAs uh, have had an incredible influence from uh, um, Southern California and, and the West. Uh, this beer is designed to be a little different. It's, um, it is really rich. This, this starts out, if anybody has ever brewed, it's 25 uh, Plato gravity to start with. Um, it is every pound of grain we can fit in the grist case shoved into our uh, four-vessel um, JV Northwest 50-barrel system to come out with a beer that uh, is 100% malt. It is an enormous amount of hops. This is about four and a half pounds per barrel. It is totally irresponsible at a commercial level to make this beer. But it's a fundraiser for a wonderful organization. We only were going to sell it. We made one batch. Um, and I thought that was going to be too much. Uh, the yield was so small. We got about 150 cases and 106 holes. We sold it to our top wholesalers around the country, and everybody liked it so much um, that we did another batch. So now it's going to be available a little bit more spread around the country, so some of you will get it. And uh, I love this beer because intellectually, the fact that we can make a pun after 19 years is kind of a <laughs> shocking I love this beer because my new lead brewer, Richie Saunders, did the recipe for this. And um, I've been working with him for many years, but not as lead brewer. He never did recipe development until very recently, which is astounding to be able to pull this off. Um, as far as for Julia's question, why now? Why are we doing this? Because uh, Doug was trying my beers a while ago, but I've had a bit of a... Um, I guess, Rockstar Envy for their brewery in San Diego. And I figured, if we're going to come out of the gates, let's just go hard. So I figured we brought some heavy hitter beers awesome. tonight that are the other end of the spectrum. Doug's brought beers that are complex yet delicate, uh, multiple layers of flavor inside of them from a product that is, as he said, completely enjoyable every day. This is a beer that should be looked at more as a rarity and a treat and something definitely to share at 11.8%. So, so basically it's kind of like the one. girth of New York against the uh, <laughs> chalaxi of California. <laughs> <laughs> For your, they don't know the that's other the two beers, but that's kind of the we've actually gotten girth of New York into a beer dinner conversation. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. I, it's absolutely fantastic. Mm. And this is, you know, tasting something like this, smelling it. I haven't even tasted it yet, but just the aromatics on it. This is why I love craft beer. I love beer. Craft beer, I mean, this is so fantastic and such a new, not a new experience, but I welcome this. It's absolutely incredible. I can't wait to taste the pairing. Good. So when you guys taste it with the food, one of the beauties of hoppy beers is if your palate isn't crazily distracted because of genetics by the bitterness of hops, um, it is a beautiful way to eat food because you get... Enough of a malt profile, the foundation that builds a little bit of sweetness. Um, it's, you know, gluten and grain and fatty and yummy, and, uh, but the hops help you cut through all of that. And so the combination of carbonation as well as the hops through bitterness, and even in later editions, uh, aroma probably doesn't cut through it as much, but later edition hops can be, um, actually depending on the hop, very, can add a sense of bitterness and certainly a lot of flavor. So this is... Um, brewed with some beautiful Calypso hops that we were very, very lucky to get from our friends at Speakeasy Brewing in uh, San Francisco. We started contract brewing for Speakeasy, um, and they cushioned their, their uh, head brewer, get, did me a solid, and sold me some Calypso for this project. So uh, there's a lot going on in this beer. Um, as you can taste, incredible richness. But I hope it doesn't come through as too cloying. Although at 25 Play-Doh to start, I think it finishes somewhere in the fives. It might dip into four, but I doubt it. Um, and it's, uh, it was supposed to be a, uh, 11%, but it, it ended up a little, a little bit more robust. Very. As it should. <clears throat> um, and, the, and the food it's being served with is curried roasted root vegetable with harissa oil. You might be getting some capsaicin heat. And I just want to interject on what yeah. I've noticed and learned about. Some of the, the pepper heat um, can have... Different results with different types of taste elements. Your basic taste elements are sweet, salty, sour, bitter, umami. You've got emerging ones like fat, metallic, carbonation, calcium. Mm. But those basic taste elements that are not aromatic-based, 
Meaning if you dip your pinky in sugar, you're not going to smell that. You taste it. You dip your pinky in salt, you don't smell that. You taste it. It's tongue and soft palate based. Those taste elements can work very well or clash if you put alcohol in the mix, too, with capsation heat. Sweetness calms heat, and that's a great thing with this triple that I'm getting. It's just the low-level capsation, the little bit of heat is calming that. Alcohol can be backlash with heat in that it kind of opens up the pores on your tongue, and that's a good analogy, and it can make anything more enhanced. So if you have too much of a spiciness and you have a higher-level alcohol, that's why wines a lot of the time don't work well with something spicy, it will clash. But what I'm noticing from this 11.8% alcohol (laughs) beverage is that the sweetness still carries the day and takes back some of that capsation heat or a little bit of that harissa oil heat and and brings it back so you at least are actually getting some of the flavors and the curry still comes through with the root vegetables. So this is a perfect opportunity because I get to slightly, not necessarily disagree because Julia knows more about beer dinners than I will ever know. No, you disagree. We can can duke it out later. It's a more... She said right, and he said question, because um, in, in my palate, when you put both of them together, I actually love that, is do food first or beer first. In this particular uh, instance, I think you can't go wrong, because the richness of the malt on this um, will not, uh, it, it'll allow for you to really pick up the flavors and the vegetables. But then in the end, I like putting them both together and together. Like if you have chocolate and a beautiful beer pairing, oh, you got to mix them up in there and just smush them together and love it. So in this one, the edge of the hops, when you pick up the bitterness on the side of your tongue, to me, it's actually accentuating just a hint of the heat and picking up that curry so that like the spiciness of the hops can help accentuate some of the flavors and bring out a little bit extra, in addition to, though, calming them down in a different part of the palate for me. So, I don't know, does anybody, you guys have, uh, do you think that the beer accentuated or did it maybe contrast? Because that's something we talk about all the time. Does it pump, does it punch the flavors or does it calm the flavors? So, anybody have comments one way or the other? And you can have it all going on at once, totally too. Which is I, think it does, I, think it does, I think it does both. Yeah, I mean, both for, interactions, I think, are happening. For me, I mean, it really brings out a lot of some of the flavors and other things. It helps qualm them. It, it, alcohol being this high, alcohol is a solvent, so it really helps get rid of some of that heat, but still keeps it there without it hurting. And it just, I, it's a beautiful pairing. I wish fun. I could make this at home. <laughs> you can. Send me some cases. Absolutely. So we have a, we have a question in the crowd. Yes, I don't know. We can hear you. Yeah, so what was the beer uh, that you just served? It's called Shebrew. Shebrew. It is a triple IPA. Um, it is also, if you guys want to come up afterwards, one of the coolest labels we've ever done. That's sweet. It is uh, an ode to uh, a rock band from New York uh, called the New York Dolls. Very punk. Um, we had, uh, they were a bunch of dudes dressed up in drag. And um, so we had a bunch of ladies, including Shelby Schneider down here, my marketing director for Schmaltz Brewing. Um, we had uh, all the staff, the ladies on our staff. We invited our wholesalers. Speaking of collaborations, to come, we invited retailers. We did a dress-up party and uh, <clears throat> came up with one of the coolest labels I think we've done. And it all happened in maybe a week or two. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. And it's called Shebrew. And it's gonna. What state are you in? Are you are you here? Or? No, we're in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. But hey, it was wonderful. Tasted great. Pairing was wonderful. Cool. Yeah, so well we're done. Rolling, Thank man. you. That's awesome. What we're here and for. for pink boots. Like, what a big deal. I yeah. always say that craft brewers use their craft beers as a cause for other causes. And this is what's going on. I mean, it's yep. it's awesome. Oh, and you. I think we're moving to beer number three. So we've gone through course number one, kind of non traditional, started with cheese, but not necessarily for Doug and I. Course number two is so definitely not one. traditional. Awesome. Um, starting with the triple, triple, but it's our dinner. We can do what we want, right? And now we got course number three. We've got um, now, again, a little bit of capsation influence. I don't know how spicy it's going to be because we have not test tasted this. Chili and coffee rub steak. And I'll let Doug uh, talk about his beer. Okay, so what you guys have in front of you now, we call it the Pugilist. Uh, Pugilist is a Irish bare-knuckle boxer. <laughs> so this is a dry stout. Awesome. That was funny. People laugh. Yeah. <laughs> that came up on it's, our call uh, in advance. Well, so no, no. We the second that. part's coming up right okay. now. Okay. Sorry. Didn't mean to step we on We called it. it dry stout. Yeah. Not an Irish dry stout. 
because I don't know what an Irishman tastes like. <laughs> and we're in That's California. That's even funnier. Yeah. Uh, so good. I write my own material. <laughs> um, but, no, I mean, style-wise, it, it's really tough. I think uh, styles are... We could go on for hours about them, but uh, yeah. we don't want to say Irish dry style because we don't try and uh, make something to style to try and hit that. I think, uh, you know, when I was home brewing, that was the goal. Let's, I want to try and recreate this beer and see how well I can do it. But as a professional brewer, you kind of have free reins and let me take what I love drinking, dry stouts, Irish dry stouts, and let me see what I can do with it and see how it is. So that's why we don't want to do disservice to the style of Irish dry stout. So we just called it dry stout out of respect to the style. That being said, we did win silver medal at the Great American Beer Festival for this beer. There you go. So Check that's pretty cool. Irish. Yeah. Um, did beat Guinness on it. <laughs> are awesome. And Third Street Ale Works out of Santa Rosa, who usually gets gold every year, who are our good friends. Uh, that was pretty cool. Mainly just beating them because they're awesome. Uh, anyway, so uh, at Society, our lightest alcohol beer, lightest body beer is the Pugilist, our dry stout. Our heaviest, biggest, burliest, gnarliest beer is our Imperial Stout. So we love, you know, the education aspect of someone coming into the brewery and saying, hey, what's your lightest beer? That's oh, it's cool. a stout. Someone coming, hey, what's that's your heaviest so beer? Cool. Here? Yeah, it's fun. That's it, so cool. We also have yeah, a uh, Belgian Golden Strong that's 8% that's clear and light as day because we only use Pilsner malt and sugar in it, owed to Duval. You know, and so we like to kind of play with people's minds that way. That Look, you know, Guinness as a beer is actually a light beer. It's four and a half percent. It's less calorie. You guys all know this stuff. Anyways, uh, part of this beer is you get that dark flavor. You know, I don't know if you want to call it a stout flavor or anything else. I just call it dark. It's a dark flavor. It's that roasty, toasty, biscuity, burnt flavor with subtlety in it. Like, you know, all of our beers, it's, you know, we try and do some sort of subtlety underhand there. And, uh, but it's still so drinkable. And at 4.8%, you could put down, you know, a couple pints and still be okay. So uh, we use a lot of roasted barley in here. Uh, touch of oatmeal, touch, you know, we're throwing in, uh, shoot, what's the, uh, trying to think. I'll think of it in a second. We're, you know, we experiment every single time. We're on our uh, 10th batch of this right now, but so with, uh, I was actually pretty excited when I heard what the pairing would be. So I'm, I'm from Texas. So brisket, barbecue, that's kind of like my pride and joy when it comes to food. We've got two smokers at home right now and they get used all the time. A secret rub. I didn't, well, now it's not secret anymore. I thought I was the only person that was using coffee in my rub. Because it brings out that roasted, that toasted flavor. And you set your, you know, your, your bark. That's what it's called on, on barbecue. You set the bark, and that's that crispy outside layer. What's a better way to get that, like, hey, this is set flavor? Coffee. So I've always put coffee in here. When I heard that, I was so pumped. I'm like, this is going to be easy. Pugilist. Like, this is, I spray my brisket in Pugilist when we're smoking it at home. So, uh, you know, it's a kind of like a, one of those slam dunk type pairings, I think. You have that roasty toastiness, but it's light. It's not going to be a beer that overpowers, you know, this plate. I need to take a So taste, taste the pairing for us and, and let us know. And I think coffee is commonly, you know, coffee's general, dark coffee, French roast. You could go to breakfast blend. I mean, there's so many different degrees of flavors within that category of coffee. But then you get to where Doug's talking about even acrid, you know, those burnt flavors. And, and then to have that for harmonization carried over in the food where the steak is actually rubbed in that is a beautiful thing. And, and I'm expecting, yeah. I'm about to taste it, that that's and, going on. And steak itself, oh, you know, and, and especially this piece with everything it's got that fat in there and this is where beer comes in i think it's why it's the greatest pairing is carbonation you take a bite and you take a sip of the beer and the carbonation just wipes your palate clean and it pairs well everything tastes good i get you know the roastiness i get the fattiness from the steak there's a little bit of acidity in there uh and then i take a sip of the beer and it it kind of completes everything rounds it out this is the uh you know the the fifth element when it comes to cooking and pairing is beer, in my opinion. Uh, it's, I don't know, I, I, I really like it. I'm trying to, you know, think of other ways to describe it, but it's, you know, 
it's not a fatty dish and this is a light beer and there's a way that this food can actually be kind of light and nice and refreshing but at the same time it's got that dark feel to it because of the steak so you have the beer and same thing it's kind of light but it has that dark feel because of what it is but in the end it's really not this like overly rich overly savory type dish that you're having yeah, somehow even at four percent alcohol, it's an intensity match. And like my pairing step, um, right. my pairing steps in a nutshell include matching intensity, finding harmonization in the in the food to the beer, and you've got that with the specialty roasted malts carrying over to what's going on, and then the interaction back to those taste elements. And if you focus on those three things, which that's a lot going on there. But if you can dial it in, you'll get to the one plus one equals five. And it's very hard to have home run pairings. We, I mean, Doug emulates a home run, middle of the road, train wreck is my terminology, too. And <laughs> I picked I think, it up from you. Yeah, I stole cool. it from you from CBC two years ago. It's starting awesome. to rub off somewhere, I guess. That's good. And I think that most pairings that I've had, you know, middle of the road, and then one in 10, one in 20 even pairings oh, are that nice. home run, so take it over the top, one plus one equals five, aha moments. And so I think while we're serving the next um, the next course, I'd love to hear you guys share some of your like what's been your aha pairing moment right now that right now Jeremy <laughs> says. I mean this beer. <clears throat> if anybody, I'm sure you guys picked this up. This beer is so flavorful and so clean and so light. There's so much. I mean, you're not missing anything. You've got beginning, middle, and end. You've got layers of kind of experience of getting through that flavor. You've got roasted malt, but you've got a little hint of sweetness. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I'm already finished drinking it. You guys pick oh, up, I want more of that. <laughs> you guys pick up the acidity in the beer? This finishes a lot lower pH-wise than all of our other beers. And we do that on purpose. I think uh, dry stouts should have some sort of lactic. If you can taste it, it's too much. Ooh. But to That's where good. you're adding it in, it, it finishes perfect. And I think the acidity is, uh, <laughs> we do it on purpose. We lower the pH uh, to the right point, not too much or not, not enough. But um, we want it to kind of have that like little lactic kick. And I love that point because that is indicative to the style. Up to 3% is common for um, dry stouts. But acidity, it's an important point. All beers are acidic. It's just a matter of how low on the pH scale that Doug brings up. Seven is neutral on the pH scale. You get lower down. You know, some wines are 3.5 to almost 4. Many beers, unless they're sour focused, are 4 to 4.5. It just depends. And beers can be in the 3 pH range. But all beers have acidity. And we're missing that to some of the food world. What I would want to emphasize is, is that the reason wine is on the map with pairing is because it comes to the table with acidity. Acidity calms salt, it calms fat. Well, beer in its varying styles absolutely has that, just depending on how acidic that style is. And so beer can also do the same thing based on its pH and acidity level um, that, that salt will do. And I, I really, and on top of that, you've got those Chances for harmonization, flavor hooks, bridges, links, however you would verbalize that, that wine just doesn't tend to have with a lot of foods, grilled, roasted, smoked meats. You've got that going on from the malted barley and other fermentables that really find harmonization with foods, flavors of biscuit and biscotti and toffee and caramel and all those things that are going on in so many of the foods today. So, you know, beer is just a great opportunity for pairing, and I love that you just brought up acidity. Yeah, acidity, I think. Uh, one of the core you know, values in food. Acidity, salinity, and the fact that we have you know, so much food that has grain in it and beer made Thank from you. grain. It's just you a just leave the bottle. It's natural fine. thing. Yeah, just, that, just that'll leave work. The bottle. It's fine. <laughs> All right, so Jeremy, we're pouring. We're getting to the dessert course in our mini little beer dinner here. I've got a question in the back before Jeremy describes Thanks. it because it's just getting poured. Thank Steve, you. if you can go to the hand in the back with Mike from Society. Uh, I'm sure you both have been to multiple beer dinners, you know, throughout your careers. What is the most, you know, memorable experience that you've had at a beer dinner? I'll take I'll take this one first, please. Uh, so I was in L.A. in Venice Beach, and we did that uh, Brewers Association dinner at the Tasting Room. Is that what it's called? In- yeah, that, yes. Is that what it's called? It was the Tasting Room the in tasting L.A. Room. 
and chef. The Tasting Kitchen. I'm tasting sorry. Kitchen. Tasting Kitchen. Chef Adam, and this goes back to my whole thing with like simplicity and that, you know, it doesn't have to, I love complexity. That, the beer from Shebrew was just like mind-blowingly awesome. But I also love when you can have something so simple and it blows you away. To me, that is just life-changing. So he brought out, it was prime rib. That's it. Medium rare. And he said, taste the IPA, taste the steak, pour some olive oil on it, some salt, take a bite, now taste the other IPA. And it blew me away. Never in my life did I think that you could have such simple ingredients, just great quality ingredients paired in the right way with beer, not the right beer. And prime rib and IPA you would not normally think to put together. There's not a lot of chance for that flavor harmonization. Or putting olive oil and salt on the steak. And it, it, it blew my mind. And I've done a lot of beer dinners and I eat and drink every single day. And this was mind blowing. I mean, this changed everything. I think I went back to society and I was like, guys, oh my God. This is, I mean, it, it changed everything for so me. So he was bringing some um, vegetable fat to the table with the olive oil right. and salt to work off of some of the bitterness and low, medium level acidity of an IPA that would even have some. Julia says it a lot better than I did. <laughs> yeah, and, then, uh... and, and that's what it is. It's 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 mixing the fat with the bitterness and the carbonation, and you get the salinity. As we were saying earlier, salinity acidity, and it. it it really just play around with stuff. And the more you do it, if you start doing this every single day and take notes, if you're not taking notes, brewers, we take notes every single day and you're only as good as your, as your notes, please. I mean, just do it on your phone. You've got like an iPad or iPhone, write down what you want and nothing's wrong. And you'll look back, and if you don't look back, it's still it's a good, great exercise, a mental exercise. And Jeremy, did your favorite beer dinner oh, yeah. uh-huh, have midgets and circus yes, acts and yes, stuff? Yes, it did. Thank you, Julia. So the um, uh, yes, this is a good contrast today, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Doug's uh, the complexity of simplicity. I 100% love, and it's very important, and I agree with it intellectually. And then somehow we manage to not necessarily do that very often with Schmaltz Brewing. Generally what we do is much like this next beer, is we just blow it out and just throw it all at it. And um, the two beer dinners that we did that I really loved, we've done a lot and they are very exciting. But we did do one with midgets and sword swallowers <laughs> and fire breathers. It was also had food and it was uh, Sean Paxton, the homebrew chef. We did it in San Francisco for SF Beer Week. And uh, it was called Three Ring Circus. And another thing that I absolutely love to do, and maybe we'll be able to pull this off someday, is I love to collaborate with other brewers. Um, Because I have literally zero ego, because I wasn't a brewer. In fact, I have a big inferiority complex about it. Um, I just came up with a bunch of punchlines, found great brewers to work with, and now I'm starting to get my feet under me a little bit more after almost two decades. So um, it was called Three Ring Circus. We did a collaboration beer. It was Speakeasy, Ninkasi, and Schmaltz. Um, and uh, Jamie came down from uh, Oregon, uh, also actually a Terry Ferrendorf protege, and the guys from Speakeasy, you heard we're contract brewing from them. We had uh, a couple hundred people at this just giant, wonderful ballroom in San Francisco, and Sean created, I, I think, I'm, I'm not totally sure, I think it was 12 or 14 courses. He's notorious for just completely overdoing it. But there were four breweries, and we all wanted to drink a bunch of our beer and everybody else's beer. So that was a very fun one. And then the biggest beer dinner we ever did was at uh, a place called Kickbacks in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, We did 168 people. We had 28 draft lines and a firkin. And those guys are so amazing. They were a destination on the coast of Florida before anybody was around. He has done an incredible job. Uh, He is definitely a legend in that market. Um, And, you know, after, sometimes after three or four beers, Doug's beers have such uh, amazing personality while also having the ability to continue to drink other flavors. A lot of our beers tend to just beat your your tongue up a little. Which is awesome. Um, Which is why I got into beer. Yeah. So this is what we're about to do. Yeah. Talk about what's about to beat our tongue up right um, now. What's about to happen is you're about to taste a beer that, again, was a complete experiment Not sure it was ever going to exist. Made up the concept very, very recently. It's a beer called Bok Bok. Um, 
Uh, does anybody know what uh, schmaltz means in Yiddish? <clears throat> uh, Susan Green, my sales manager for the Mid-Atlantic. Nicely done, nicely done. Chicken fat. Chicken fat. So the label of Bok Bok. My uh, Episcopalian wife back there knows what schmaltz is, too. Because right. I had my 28th birthday party at, uh, what's it called? Little... Sammy's oh, Romanian. nicely done. Yes, yeah. you will schmaltz it up and with she got them. called out because she's the only blonde person in the room. All right. I'm sure you're a big hit. Way to go. Um, so uh, this beer is called Bok Bok. In a little bit of a reference to our company, it's called Schmaltz Brewing. Schmaltz means chicken fat. It's, uh, the reason I named the company Schmaltz is uh, it's a bit of like a, a nostalgic comfort food. Schmaltz was very important in Central European cooking. It was a treat for grandmothers to put on black bread for their grandchildren. I grew up in California, completely removed from that tradition. My grandmother moved from New York when she was 19 and left college and moved to California. We grew up as uh, reformed suburban California Jews. No schmaltz in the house. <laughs> so I loved the kind of connection uh, where everybody goes, well, obviously you're from New York. I'm like, eh, I'm from San Francisco. A little different Jewish tradition. But uh, schmaltz also, <clears throat> in terms of humor, means like a, kind of an um, irreverent, uh, sentimental sense of humor. So our new brewery happens to be just north of the Catskills, where certain people like uh, Rodney Dangerfield and Sid Caesar, Mel Brooks, Henny Youngman, um, and then, obviously, in the word schmaltz is a very, very important word for all of the brewers and for you as well, the word malt. So um, we call that the trinity of schmaltz. It's a comfort food with a crazy sense of humor and a bunch of great ingredients. So this last beer is uh, a bit of a culmination of all of that. This is a ridiculous, over-the-top beer that is a Imperial Munich Vienna Lager brewed with rye, oatmeal, um, and wheat. It is brewed with Pacific Northwest hops and European hops. It was intended to be an ode to uh, European strong lagers, lagers like EKU 28 and Sammy Klaus Helles. And uh, the first half of this beer, aged in Buffalo Trace bourbon barrels, which is one of my favorite bourbons, for two years. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Jesus did not have a Moses. lot to do with that one. <laughs> softball um, and uh, uh, and the other half of it was a eight and a half percent um, similar recipe we, we pulled out a little bit of the ingredients lightened the body and uh, that's again my lead brewer Richie Saunders designed that beer with a slightly different lager yeast that we aged in half very fresh Jim Beam and Heaven Hill barrels so what I like about this is that it's a blend, much like the funky jubilation that we're serving at our booth tonight. You can't, it'd be very hard to just like brew one beer and get there with it. You get, to me at least, the depth of the, like you were mentioning, caramel and nougat and uh, where vanilla and chocolate overlap and uh, there's kiln amber and there's this, all this wonderful, rich, complex malt profile. And you also get popping booze which I personally enjoy. Oh, yeah. Um, and yet there's still some carbonation. At 9%, it's harder and harder as you get higher in alcohol to pull off carbonation. So there's a little brightness from the, the carbonation. And, and it's paired so you yeah. know it's in front of you with pound cake, French toast with apricots. And to say one thing about this beer, I haven't had the pairing yet, but you know everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, go into a brewery, taste their lightest beer, and that's kind of the judge of the brewer. You know how hard it is to make a beer this complex? It's incredible. I mean, the skill it takes and the quality of the beer that has to go into it, it's insane. It's the same thing with eating any sort of rich food. You can't just, like, make a bacon fat sandwich and have it taste good. Right. You know, you're, you're, you're kind of going in there with, like, hey, I've got great tools, but execute it well, and it's something out of this world. And yeah. that's kind of what this is. The train wreck um, question is always a good one. We make beers. Uh, we have a series called Jubilation that was the same number of malt tops and alcohol as our anniversary. And it was a total joke and an experiment when we started, and it was eight, eight, and eight. And uh, even at that point, people were like, what, eight different malts and eight types of hops? This is going to taste some kitchen sink catastrophe. Um, and I was very lucky to work with a brewmaster for many years who did a great job of balancing the elements. And so I think what Doug's talking about and what this has been just, this is, this is lights out. This is amazing. This is wonderful tonight. You've been able to taste delicate, soft, 
um, simple. You've been able to taste ridiculous, over-the-top, bombastic. But what all of it has had is a sense of craftsmanship. And, and to me, we have not had an off. That's what I'm t- constantly trying to avoid. Off crazy-ass flavor that's not a good crazy-ass flavor. Um, if you guys have tried uh, Rob's uh, at Allagash, that raspberry beer is insane. It is an explosion of flavor. But there's nothing off about it. It's not an explosion where part of your mouth is saying one thing and the other part is arguing, being like, oh, I don't want that. This is trying to make everything in its complexity but balanced. And so I, I think that that's what this beer is trying to do. Um, and I'm really glad you like it. That's fantastic. That a lot this to is mind blowing. Um, and we really wanted to, at the end of tonight, uh, it's been a long week for, I mean, sure some of you have joined us, but a lot of the brewers uh, have had a very long week. We did a hill climb with the Brewers Association that was a huge success and is a very important part of our business um, that the Brewers Association put together. Last week was, well, Philly Beer Week. So some of us were doing some of this stuff in Philly last week. Um, <clears throat> so I figured at the end of tonight, since you guys survived this saver and made it there with us, we would treat you to something that I've been calling a candy bar for grown-ups. And uh, it's booze and beer all in yummy But, but calorie-free, so, right? Of course. And with a little bit of French, to- what is it, French toast. Yeah, with the, with the apricots that shine a little Apricot brighter French amidst toast. the uh, amazing blendedness of, of this... I, I'm, I'm truly impressed with what we've pulled off here, and the dessert is now what we've arrived at. We have about five more minutes. We started five minutes late, so we're going to get you out of here Cheers, for a little man. bit more savor tasting so time. I want to make sure we bring it back to the theme, beer dinners. Again, it's, it's anything goes. Rules are no problem. It's your home, your dinner, you're in control. But that my test and tweak um, tip I really would like you guys to know. And then themes, you know, beer dinner themes are big. Uh, You could have it by style. You could have it by geography. You could have it by alcohol beverage. You can have it by people, Um, you know, chef versus brewer, father versus son, Democrat versus Republican. Um, You can have it for technique. You know, Maillard reaction is a big one in cooking that advances brown malt flavors. You could have beer-focused German styles that focus on that. And then um, cooking technique in the food. So anything goes really for that. And the theme is really, I think, what is always fun to tie things together, too. Tonight was a great savor-themed dinner that maybe you guys can even try at home, this particular dinner. But let's get to maybe two or three questions and then get you guys back out to your savor to wrap it up. What do we got for comments? We got one in the back. So in my very, very limited experience with wine and and food, it's usually a complement between the wine and the food. But I find that beer is almost better as a contrast. Is, Is that in line? I think it's great, and I love the the, the, the um, hesitancy in your voice because we're dealing with that. <laughs> so there's no right way. Here's the thing. We have started um, – I started a sensory sounding group at the Brewers Association. I have tapped the Cicerone program, the Brewers Association, the American Society of Brewing Chemists, and a doctor of genetics from the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. We are literally meeting monthly, and we're about to meet in person next um, month to tackle the lexicon of pairing. So where you're hesitant and wanting that information and wanting somebody of authority to say, yep, confirm that, that, that when that happens, when that interaction happens, that's a compliment. Or yep, when that interaction happens, it's a contrast. We are working on every word we've ever seen in any book, Garrett Oliver book, Randy Moser book, wine books, craftbeer.com, wherever. We've collected all that. Then we're going to take that lexicon and panel test it on people just like you and see what you think those words mean. And then we're going to come back as a group and say what we're going to start to use in our language. So compliment, contrast, cut is the main thing that you've probably heard in pairing. There's also cleanse in there. There's also calm in there. And I'm not here as an authority on beer and food to say that you should say it one way or the other right now. But I'm excited to say that beer is advancing things to tackle that topic. And craftbeer.com, which Julia runs, is probably the greatest source we have right now for food and beer parents. It's absolutely incredible. And what she's done for guiding stuff like this, I mean, that's our right now. I visit it almost every single day 
follow her on Twitter. It's so it, it makes it a lot easier. It takes away a lot of like the like I'm scared if this is not going to work. You follow the guides like she's put together, and it helps a lot. Yeah, I would absolutely echo that, Doug. Uh, at hers muses uh, for Julia on Twitter, and then um, yeah, Twitter at yeah. hers muses. Where follow Schmaltz? At Schmaltz Brewing, and uh, I'm at Jeremy Cowan SBC. And Doug? I don't... I Twittered today for the first time because I saw a bunch of selfie sticks at the White House, and I felt like the world needed to know how many selfie sticks were there. But, <laughs> but Mike, where really do you do follow society? Uh, society, yeah. society Brewing. At Society Brewing. At Society Brewing. With an E Thank you for y, that. we're bad yeah. at branding. And then, you know, just remember also, you guys, we say this all the time, um... These two are absolute experts at what we're talking about tonight, food and beer pairings. I love food and love beer. Um, One of the things that we did, uh, I started with Hebrew in the very beginning, was I used to say, well, you know, you can't separate Jews and food, so I needed beer. (laughs) It has to be food friendly. But you kind of can't go wrong, to your point about contrast or complement, because uh, the world is not necessarily always about dualism, and there may be an element of some of these complexities uh, that might com- contrast and complement, and that might clash. <clears throat> but sometimes you might like the clash. You might like the separation of flavors. So uh, I, that's one of the beauties of all of this is you kind of can't go wrong um, yeah. if you have great quality ingredients and you, you, you spend a little bit of extra time and use your patience and, as Doug said, just practice, which luckily the practicing is pretty enjoyable. How cool so. is that, that this is what you want to like practice and get good at? It's, it's not even practice. It's, I mean, come on. You want to eat food and beer every night? Just every single time you can – any <laughs> opportunity you have, try it and take mental notes. Just, and I, I know I keep like going on the notes thing, but every single time, every beer you drink – Every single time you take a, a bite of food, I don't care if it's with beer or not, wherever you are, it's a bite of a sandwich, think about the flavor of that. Don't just eat it to eat it. Say, what's going on right now with everything in my mouth? You know, and then you move forward. Right on. Last question, and we will uh, get you back to your festival. Yeah, so I've been to a couple of beer dinners. I think the uh, like, Can you like speak beer up with a little? cheese. Yeah, like Put beer the mic with, to your mouth, please. Yeah, you know, the the beer with cheese, beer with beer with beef, beer with um, you know dessert has worked out really well. Um, I think where the biggest misses I've seen are like beer with either like a salad or with like a fruit. Do you have any kind of tips for for what beers work really <laughs> well with that kind of that pairing? There is, there is beer with everything. There is never a, a product that beer can't go well with. Bottom line. And salad, um, you know, Doug's first beer would be absolutely fantastic. Um, Picking up flavors, uh, as he mentioned, his other beer that's an ode to Duval. You know, you come up with a citrus uh, and maybe butter lettuce with some fruit or candied pecans or whatever you want to throw on there. And you're you're in for a treat. You're going to have a product in some of his more effervescent beers that are lighter and bodied and really be able to cut through the, uh, whether it's, you know, oil and vinegar or whatever you put on there. And there's no shortage of awesome beers out there. Yeah. Go for, go for light to... colors. Go for light colors with salad. I, that's what I think. I mean, the, yeah. if you really get to really know the beers and the breweries, I mean, you can find out what ingredients they're putting in there. Society. Uh, anybody here from San Diego? I think we were talking about it earlier, but you know, then you can find out. But find your local breweries and find those beers and ask them what's in the beer, and say, "Hey, I want to do a beer dinner, and I'm looking to serve this and this and this. And can you tell me a little bit more about this beer? Because I'm looking to pair it, and I've got, you know, I've got salad, I've got steak, or I've got, you know, some uh, roasted veggies for this dish, and I, I need to know a little bit about the beer. I guarantee you the brewers will tell you what's in there because they love food just as much as they love beer. <laughs> and and we, I, like to, I like to say um, wine kind of lost its way. We're red with red meat, right? White with white uh, chicken and seafood. 
you pair the protein, but you also pair the preparation and ingredients. So for a salad, what's on top of the salad? Yeah. What's yeah, in the exactly. salad? What's so the dressing? Where yeah, exactly? Can, yeah. So what's 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 the chance for that flavor harmonization again? Yeah. And that's gonna um, and then what works beer wise with those potential flavor profiles? And you'll be a lot longer, a lot closer to the way. And then also think of intensity. Keep that but, in mind. But Julia, do you think you know anybody here could email a local brewery and say, Hey, look, I'm I'm looking to do this, and this is the food I'm putting together. Do you mind taking me through a tasting of your beers? I bet, I know in San Diego, I would do that for anybody. Someone says, hey, I'm trying to put a beer together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, let's, let's walk through some beers. But uh, do it, you know, interact with your breweries and, you know, you guys know how to make food, so. I love it. So accessible. <laughs> like, how many restaurants can you walk in and they'll let you tour? Mm. But breweries, yeah. Hell yeah. So very accessible. Amazing. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Jeremy, Thank you, for Julia. your effort. Nice Thank you. Done. Thank you. Steve. Thank, Thank you. We'll be up here hanging out. Guys in the back. Go back to your saver. Thanks for all you guys are doing and enjoy it. Thank you for listening to this recording from Saver 2015, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. You can find the rest of the salons from Saver 2015, as well as all of the salons from previous years of Saver, at craftbeerradio.com slash saver or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.